morning. Uh, welcome to the Science Podcast with me, Mr. Short, and uh, Mr. Atkinson. Hi, folks. And we might be joined by Mr. Forsyth uh, in a moment or two. And this morning, we're looking at... Um, here he is. We're looking at uh, science that's been inspired by nature or natural things that inspire some sort of scientific development. So really, we're, I think the word is biomimetics. So biomimetics, we take something in biology and, uh, or in nature and uh, make something of it. And really, it goes back to, I suppose, observation. So as a scientist, you can look around and see something and work out what's going on with it. So you're observing it and then progressing it, I guess. Um, so we'll, some easy ones that we've got are the discovery of coffee was uh, goats, I think, in Ethiopia, eating these beans and then getting quite hyper afterwards and people thought well I want to be more a goat that's how you're telling me <laughs> okay I want, I want to be like that's that goat I want to be like a goat I want more of what that goat is having interesting stuff I'll go for you coffee came from there we've also got um, uh, velcro Oh, yeah, Vel- I think I Velcro came from the sticky willy of the burrs from fruits oh, that get stuck okay. to you and then uh, look it under hooks. a microscope mm. and that came Velcro. So instead of using zips, uh, you have Velcro. Swiss engineer George Dumestro observed the burrs of a burdock plant that latched to his pants, his trousers, but yeah. uh, uh, didn't attach to his, his dog's fur as easily. Yeah. and looked at it. Uh, the shape of it under a microscope okay. and replicated that. It's like a hook and a... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's not just enough. It's like Alexander Fleming, I guess, in his penicillin. He didn't really turn penicillin into uh, an antibiotic. He discovered it, but he didn't know about the next step. Whereas seeing that and then being able to say, well, I can see a use for that is probably the inspired bit, really, isn't it? Yeah, taking it one, that one step yeah. further and actually doing something with it. That's right, and moving it on a little bit. So it's, there's got quite a few of these... <laughs> Well, what was the basis for, for the smallpox development? Was it not that the... Oh, penicillin? Uh, no, sorry, uh, sorry, I'm not going elsewhere. Smallpox yeah. the one that sprung to mind from it, where um, they'd observed oh. that, the, yes. that the farmhands who were milking yeah. the cows didn't develop smallpox because they were consuming the milk as well. And so the cows didn't develop smallpox and they kind of progressed from there. These, there must be some... Vaccines. Yeah. yeah, vaccines in S2 uh, cells. Uh, and their uses, or microbes and, microbes microbes and disease in this too, yeah. I don't know where the word vaccine comes from. So yeah, from yeah. cows, vaccinia. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Which I think is the Latin word for cow. <laughs> so don't like start any of your making up <laughs> so again. You so did so this to me before. <laughs> no. so, yeah, but that was another thing where they, they um, trialled it on some poor boy <clears> with <throat> cowpox and made him ill, and he didn't die because uh, basically the people milking the cows would wouldn't die, and then, um, yeah, gave them smallpox. There we go. Right. So let's not do that, let's test out on the yeah. students first. Let's I, and again, let's just state that we're, we're uh, not researching fully here, so please check anything, just in case there's a yeah. bit of a missed story here. Um, okay, so what's next? Come on. Uh, exoskeletons, the development of like exoskeletons for victims of like accidents, paraplegics, people that have lost the ability to walk. Uh, they took that inspiration from spiders, arthropods, crabs, crabs exoskeletons, yeah. because it just gives them way Not more spiders. Strength. Spiders? Tarantulas? No, I don't think they have an exoskeleton, do they? 
I think, like... I refuse to get involved. Shellfish. <laughs> shellfish. Shell, 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 shell spiders. I don't think spiders do. They look the same, no, then. I don't think so. Well, yeah. Crabs, anyway. Again, our <laughs> ignorance may be highlighted here. No, because I've seen, I've seen the odd video. You've seen a right. spider crab. Right, we, we perhaps need to check that one. I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure spiders have an exoskeleton. Spider, uh, spiders, maybe crabs definitely do. Spider crab. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, maybe that. <laughs> 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 it's as good as I'm going to get. thing. Crabs with their exoskeleton, yeah. they have way more strength. And they've developed like, kind of walking frames yeah. for people to... Because obviously, got a, yeah, we've got a, an endoskeleton. Mm. So our skeleton's inside, and then everything is hung from that. Whereas I guess uh, mollusks with a, a shell, uh, the fleshy bit is inside, and they're protected around there. It gives you extra protection, which we don't have, but we have more flexibility, I guess, from from that development. This is where we need a biologist to step in and say some keep stuff. Keep us right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spiders are, trained. spiders are invertebrates, it means they don't have a skeleton like we do, and indeed, or instead, they do have an exoskeleton. Spiders do. A hard, protective outer layer. Google is your friend. <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. Spiders have an exoskeleton. All right, there we go. So that's one. Bullet train? Bullet train. Bullet train. So the initial, the bullet trains obviously capable of going incredibly fast because the shape of them is based on the shape of a bullet, which can move at high velocity through the air. But they found that whilst it's successful in terms of speed, uh, made incredible noise when it was heading through tunnels, etc., because of the sound waves there, the channeling, and the pressure differentials yeah, right. going through there. So they changed the design on the front of the the train to mimic the shape of a bird's beak. Kingfisher. Kingfisher. Yeah. Well, right. I'm, I'm not knowledgeably about here. Yeah. Uh, your animal skills that are there, but that's that's the basis for it. But uh, so the bullet would have been more rounded, perhaps, and the kingfisher has got indeed pointier more pointy, so actually cutting through and allowing. More so why does that make the sound then? If you've got pointier beak, I suppose it's deflects the air more. Maybe right. It's, it's for, limited though. Physics. It right. only works to certain speeds because they actually they originally tried that design for the space shuttle, the old space shuttle, uh-huh. Columbia and stuff. A really pointy. Yeah. End. They thought, well, that'll work. Yeah. But what they found instead was because of the, the sheer speed of the the object, it wasn't. It didn't really make any difference. All it did was concentrate all that air on the wings. So instead, they used what was called oh, correct, what was it called? Uh, is this for the Atlantis shuttle? Is that what yeah, you're talking Yeah, that, right? that general Because that was quite a rounded tip, wasn't yeah, it? Blunt, yeah, blunt nose theory it was called. So rather than right. try and nip through the air, they thought, we'll just do the complete opposite, make it really unaerodynamic, just Punch. smash through. But, it, but it's not square, though, is it? It's just a blunt... Yeah, just blunt. Yeah, yeah. toe-shaped, I guess. Not the most yeah. elegant, whereas the Kingfisher is really pointy at the end. And, all right. And and another good one. But also the shuttle doesn't go through a tunnel, does it? So. No. Well, let's hope not. No, I'm sure that's Kingfisher. I'd be one good pilot. But they actually found with that, with the the Kingfisher, the the shape of this, not only did it solve the the noise problem, but it actually increased the efficiency of the the transport of the the bullet train, so they were able to go faster Ah. using that. Another good one for the Kingfisher, actually. Their eyes are actually coated in a layer of oil. Uh-huh. Which, cha- which allows it to filter out certain wavelengths of light. So if they're on a, I don't know, like a little branch and they're looking for a little fish yeah. under the water. Is that polarisation? Is that polarised oil? Because uh, a liquid you didn't think could be polarised. S- or polarised light, rather. Or filter out polarised light. So advanced how you actually do this, you look at it, so it's all to do with the angles. So if, it, yeah. if the angle, if you've got a light beam coming into a surface of water... But it's scattered. 
and you've got so some of the light's going to refract and it will go through into the yeah, water yeah. some of it will, ref, uh, will be reflected yeah. so when the angle between the reflected and refracted beam is 90 degrees then the light is playing polarised that's why polarised sunglasses are yeah. used to filter that out so that's that's essential but as an oil how does that work because surely the molecules are all jumbled up and slightly chaotic so well, how does it I wonder if it is more crystalline or maybe again I've not looked too much into it I just it was something that I found Anyway, I guess the kingfisher for the train is probably because they yeah. see it diving into the water. So the kingfisher yeah, will dive in like and high speed. Yeah. High speed that technology has actually been now has been made or used to make cameras to sort of spot whales yeah. and study sharks and things in the water because obviously they can yeah. see through and they can track the moon. And fishermen and will use polarized sunglasses to see the fish, won't they? Yeah, um, yeah. Like the kingfisher, although not quite as kingfishery. Yeah. Um, so we've got another one on birds, haven't we? We were talking last week about winglets on the oh, yeah. on the aeroplane oh, wings. Yeah. So you you were looking at that. Yeah. So essentially, if you take the Airbus, the A three eighty, the big, the really big one, two wings each side, it's so big that the the up the up thrust requirement is huge. So the wings need to be big, but they've got to be able to fit within certain dimensions in order to fit literally fit on, in the airport on the runway on the runways yeah so what they did they designed the winglets so that if you if you had no winglets it was just like a flat wing all the way to the edge you develop up thrust along most of the wing but towards the end you just get a bit of turbulent air and it comes kind of round and it reduces the efficiency so the winglets they're just essentially little air stops at the side mm-hmm. to stop that air from causing the turbulence and that was inspired by again natural kingdom predator birds that were kind of circling overhead circling their prey and they have to kind of keep within a relatively narrow circle if it's within a thermal or something and they found that they turn their wings up at the side yeah. to give them yeah. extra extra lift at lower speed so you wonder if you i mean that's at the end but do winglets work if they're further in from the wing if you had like a number of ridges going across it it would be counterproductive because the only part of the wing where that turbulence is, is at the end is at the very very right. edge just because there's not another continuing yeah. surface all the way along so it's I guess you take that and try it in a, in a wind tunnel with some smoke or something and see exactly. see the turbulence in like exactly aerodynamics yeah. yeah I do like the fact that we're actually spending most of our time kind of watching nature round about to try and go what can that do for us <laughs> yeah that's right I do kind of worry that maybe like like a cat dog are doing the same thing and kind of go because if they ever like figure out how you open a tin can it's all over it really is it's, but I guess it's, it's again about that evolutionary change that we're sitting with where you know animals we're, we're very aware of um, apes using tools and we're very aware of them actually being able to use um, and fashion particular tools to forage or, or dig out grubs etc etc uh, I guess we've been We've been looking at uh, the animal kingdom and nature around about us to kind of exploit to a certain extent that, that we have. And exactly the same kind of thing I obviously read about the Titanic, the sinking of the Titanic. They realised that we might need to detect things under the water and obviously that started the initial investigation into using sound waves to try and reflect sound below and right. obviously the development of sonar from that kind of point and obviously sonar is the basis for like dolphins communication and uh, that's a getting yeah. back obviously as well mm. yeah and radar it must have, did sonar come first then was sonar used in the titanic no, no. but i think the it, it was 
initially the recognition we probably need to hunt for something from there. I'm sure it was the basis for that. And again, speaking from a place of only a small amount of knowledge, but I am aware that it was a recognised that we've lost something and we've absolutely no idea. Yeah. It was. Yeah, because there is, um, if you search around, you can see there's a blind man who uh, uses echolocation by clicks. So he makes clicks with his tongue, and he can feel the yeah. the air, the physical area around him and see what's there. And there's a kid in America can do that. Do you think? Was that, an, was that a grown up? You wonder if there's more than one person who can do that. There was a documentary on a young kid in America who was the same. He had a tumor in his eye from very very young, and his mum made the decision to remove his eyes. So he grew up basically yeah. blind, and he eventually was. The mum was saying that they were driving in the car, and the window was down. And he could notice whenever the, the noise level went up yeah, and down. Oh, mum, you see that big building over there? <laughs> I, I see it. How do you see it? You know? but, but yeah, well, you wonder how that starts. If you're blind, then you make a click. You must then feel the surroundings to work out what your clicks are are meaning in some ways or what's this, coming back to you. This is daredevil stuff. <laughs> this is exactly. And it's, I'm now frightened that we're sitting at a point where we're observing nature and we're actually going to develop all these superheroes. I guess, we, again, the similar sort of thing with uh, looking at spiders, spider's web, the tensile strength of spider web, etc. That we've got, we're trying to replicate that uh, for uh, climbing ropes, etc. So you've got the strength, the tensile strength of it, but they, they're very thin. Um, and we'll try to develop that from natural materials because trying yeah. to get the, the amount of strength from something that isn't synthetic or doesn't need to be made from like nylons etc and rope doesn't tend to have the same kind of tensile strength as the polymers which we've developed after. You ever heard of hagfish? You ever heard of Made up what? So hagfish, it looks like it's like an eel and uh, it's, it's very much prey in the ocean and what it does to protect itself when it senses danger it secretes this kind of gel stuff, really? this slime, and when it dehydrates, bear with me on this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Bear with me on this. When it dehydrates, it leaves these very fine strands of fibre, and what they've found is that it's actually. Hold on, this is a fish. Now, how does it dehydrate when it's underwater? <laughs> like if we ha if sorry if we harvest the slime, oh, if right. we harvest the slime. So the slime is there to protect it underwater. Yeah, essentially, that, if any prey comes and right. tries to have a wee bite at it, it's going to get this. Skunk. Oh, oh, it doesn't oh. like it. Okay, but we catch the hag hagfish. Catch the hagfish. Right. Harvest the gel that it produces. Okay. Let it like, dehydrate, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it becomes fibrous, and it's actually really quite strong. It's rival. It rivals a. Spider web. I do worry that most of this seems to be caused by people with too much time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second. Okay. Let's have some things that we, we use today. So cat's eyes in the road. Oh, okay. yeah. Because that's a famous one, isn't it? Yeah. That's somebody who's... You, if you're out at night and you have a light, generally you'll see... Um, animals by the reflection of their eyes, which it can be quite scary if you're out. Yeah. Like I've been running in, at night and with a head torch, and if you look around you when you're out, you'll see bunny rabbits or foxes, and you just see the pair of eyes in the darkness coming back at you. And that, I think that was the inspiration for cat's eyes, but we're talking almost like 90 years ago now. Yeah, the, 1935. So what's the basis of the small amount of light being concentrate back from the, the yeah, just, eye shape. Just reflection, really. Just yeah. reflecting the light back and putting it in the rows. I think he was driving along and uh, there was a tram line or something. And he used to use the tram line to navigate in the roads because there's yeah. no street lights. 
and no cat's eye, so at dark so it was quite hazardous to drive. Yeah. And then when the tram line had gone, he realised that's what he was using, so we needed something else in the middle of the road to guide us through. So, inspiration crazy, there. Crazy when you think of what they did before them. <laughs> yes. Well, there's fewer cards on the road and less yeah. speed, so you're not going as fast. Uh, perhaps more care than, than these days uh, with the numbers of... But I guess the basis, again, for light bulbs is, is a similar sort of thing, because they do we not observe fireflies. They've got, so the, the original design of the, the, the light bulbs, the shape of it would, wouldn't allow as much light because you had a, the reflective surface. So the, the, although the light was generated inside the bulb, it wasn't actually being transferred outside from the bulb. And what they did is they, they observed fireflies and looking at fireflies, there's a, I think the inner coating of where the light is generated on the firefly is uh, like a jagged surface. Uh, and they replicated that within LED bulbs. And in doing that, what you end up with is less of the light actually being reflected back into the bulb itself and actually being passed and out. So not the original, so the original light bulb would have progressed from not the original to light. gas lights to filaments. Like LED bulbs. So LED bulbs, they've got a rich surface on the inside, yeah. which means less is internally reflected. Because I wouldn't think much was internally reflected anyway, but maybe with LEDs it's different. You're looking for a lot more and it ends up increasing it again. It's all like right. all these sort of things increasing their So you're doing more with less, more I suppose. With less. And that came from fireflies. So fireflies so, have a ridge bit on the inside of their cell. Or? Look into the exoskeleton, whatever the, the structure that they're on. They're with the, that's actually up. Again, it's observing and yeah. then exploiting. Well, the ridge skin bit, we talked about this before with the, um, I was thinking the same shark, shark skin. Yeah. Shark skin um, and swimsuits. Yeah. So that makes them go through, which links to the butterfly. So swimsuits were developed. Uh, had a bit of a development when they were kind of mimicked on shark skin and actually enabled swimmers to swim faster. They had a sort of ridge skin on them. They were banned, I think, or in terms of, in terms of body covering. You had to yeah, you just were covering. They were too, too much fast. of a technical advantage. Yeah. So, so the butterfly bit... You, no, no, just check for me on that one, because you would kind that isn't that counterintuitive? Surely you want a smoother surface to be able to go through water. Is this, again, about kind of breaking... Uh, breaking the, the water surfaces to, uh, to displace of, it over you. Catching little bubbles of air that acts as an insulator between the surface of the soot and the water. Ah. So then you just nip through. Yeah. So it'd be less friction, I guess, with the air than with the actual surface itself. So you're so creating more friction yeah. to reduce friction, mm. essentially. So why were they banned? You, they, they were too quick. Yeah, you were going to speeds were increasing too much. All the records were just. Don't you, you want to have all this advantage when you're? Well, there's a limit. Well, you want to keep it. You want to keep it relative. Yes, you want it based on the athlete rather than the technology. Yeah. So no. triathlon, for example, is is very heavily technical based. You get the best kit makes you go faster. Right. Whereas for athletics, perhaps you you want it based on the individual athlete's talent rather than their technical logical advantage. And having money, basically. But we just draw the line because they all yeah. obviously wear these skin-tight clothing to do their athletics. So yeah, there, the, there's a line somewhere, but it shouldn't be so financially dominated. If you've got the best, the the uh, access to the best money and the best backing, then you can get the best kit and go faster. But it's not based on athletic performance. It reduces the contact, I guess, with the athlete. Mm. Um, but moving the butterfly, you were talking about earlier on. Yeah, hydrophobic coatings. Seen those. So this is a weird link because it's not. Yeah. I don't know if it's strictly linked to the hydrophobic coating, but it's an yeah. inspiration. It's I guess. the inspiration for so 
a butterfly, I think it's called the morpho butterfly in South America, and the, the, the shape of its wing when they looked at it under an electron microscope is full of tiny little ridges. So if it's raining, then the drops of water, even although they technically will land on the surface of the wing, there's only the tiniest fraction of a, a percent of the rain drop will actually touch the surface. So it just kind of drips off. And the or that then created the inspiration for, well, what if we could do something to repel water? And this is where perhaps we need a biologist in that we yeah. might have an idea. I wonder if the shark's skin and the butterfly's skin are linked in an evolutionary way that they've got these ridges on and that's conserved within the animal kingdom. Obviously we don't have ridge skin, but... Well, if it's evolved independently between butterflies and sharks, then it must have some sort of advantage. Yeah, well, yeah, some sort of... But whether it evolved, I don't think it can evolve together. Again, <laughs> ignorance has been highlighted here. <laughs> a flying shark. Duck! <laughs> That would be one terrifying butterfly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from, from sharks to whales. Would it be butterfly sized or sharks? <laughs> right, let's move on before we get. <laughs> um, the humpback whale, I was reading about the whale, because we've talked about the winglets and the shark skin. So the humpback whale has warty ridges on the fins, which enable it to get fast through the... <laughs> you. Didn't look at me, it was you. Which enable the air, the water, to go over the, the fin more easily, um, which has been used in wind turbines, which is similar to have a ridge surface, which actually passes through something more oh, easily. Okay. I wonder where you were going with <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, right, I'm going to stop talking. Somebody else can say something now. Here's, here's an interesting one. The suits that the fighter pilots wear in the RAF and all the Air Force. So that was inspired by the giraffe, obviously, because it's, because it's so big. Uh, when, it, when it kind of leans over to take a drink of water, obviously its heart has to pump blood up to its brain. If it didn't have some way of kind of regulating its own blood pressure, then it could be quite disastrous, yeah. So oh, that, yeah. So yeah. The, what they found is that there are, essentially the blood vessels in its neck can constrict and can widen to control the flow of uh, blood and therefore regulate its own blood pressure. So then it leans over to take a drink and its head moves through, you know, goodness knows how many metres in height, yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. doesn't cause anything disastrous. So they use that technology to develop suits for fighter pilots. So how do they, do, how do they measure the blood pressure in a giraffe when you take your drink? So they, they, they perform surgery on the thing, basically, and fit little pressure sensors in it. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's a good little documentary. It's a Richard Hammond documentary, and they actually show you this happening. Right. And, yeah, the fluctuation. And it doesn't really vary very much when it goes to take a drink, which is obviously what you would expect. Otherwise, the thing would not be. Here. So, what in the suit um, reduces your blood pressure? Is it just so? It's not necessarily to do with reducing the blood pressure. It's certain parts of the suit. Whenever you're, if you're going through a big curve, then certain parts of the suit will tighten and compress oh, to okay. keep your blood. And going you know, your brain. That, that links to compression socks. So, yeah, like athletes will wear Same compression idea. socks to. And obviously, yeah, DVT in the airplanes. So you've got compression at the end of the extremity of your limbs to stop you getting blood clots or yeah, yeah low blood pressure. Same idea. But those suits have been in existence before the experiments on the giraffe, perhaps. Do you think? Unless the design has changed. Uh, Who knows? 
Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe the new ones react and yeah. purely so rather yeah. Maybe they just react to yes. the, the the stresses put on them rather than doing that all the time. Maybe yeah. I've no idea. So I wonder where the suits came from. If it wasn't coming from the giraffe and the experiments on the giraffe, unless the experiments on the giraffe are yeah. really... I think it's literally called the giraffe suit, G-R-A-F. All right, so G-R-A-F. it does come from the giraffe then, yeah. perhaps. All right, there you go. Well, it is a school, dear. It is. Uh, I it? thought the suits have been in existence for a long time, because mm. the experiments of the draft sound quite recent. Okay. But if you think of a modern fighter pilot suits, as opposed yeah. to like the ones from World War Two, who just wear yeah. something green. Like a duvet. Yeah. Google that. Green curtain. Look. We got the one we were talking about the other day there, but the, the wing suits where you're... Um, oh, okay, yeah. So we're replicating oh, yeah. similar, um, similar observation that you can see from flying squirrels, jumping from one tree to another, and obviously by uh, stretching out the skin beneath the... Um, between the limbs yeah. that we have, obviously, but we capture the, the air that's... Uh, and be able to cover large distances. Obviously, the wing suits are doing exactly the same thing. It uh, doesn't much appeal to me. Like I'm wondering about the first guy that kind of jumped <laughs> off something and he got my parachute's not working. Can I stretch my jacket a little? There's always been hideous though. Well, you're looking at me. Thanks a lot. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely. And you're making a comment about the the velocity that they were actually able to achieve when we're going to get a Roughly for every so 30 miles an hour vertically, but about 100 miles an hour across the way. That's so it's a step from. Yeah. Base jumping, which jumping off a solid object on the earth for uh, sort of skydiving purposes. Mad. To yeah, mad to this, this the wingsuit. So it's like yeah, jumping yeah, off yes. something and now I'll fall for just a second like and go in a, a direction a hundred miles an hour. Do they have a parachute as well? Or is yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. Right. It's I thought they just <laughs> start pushing the air, just looking for a tree to grab hold of. It's like. <laughs> That's wrong. Well, that's with the squirrels, though. Yeah, you're right. Side off, looking goats. We're on to squirrels now. Um, okay, we've got, we've got a few others. There's a few other things that are uh, linked to nature. Um, what we're going up in size? Elephants. Elephants can sense where a potential mate is by sensing vibrations through the ground. Through their feet. And yeah, and what they've used that or the inspiration there is they've used that to now in cases and mines if a mine has collapsed and there's workers trapped inside, they obviously can't send radio waves through the rock. So they send uh, what they call elf extreme low frequency waves. Elephant, come on. <laughs> through the they send these high, uh, low frequency waves through the material through the rock and they can actually detect roughly where they are and then they know where to focus their efforts to find them. So again, I'm interested, how do they detect that the elephant was detecting a mate through their feet? And this is the male elephants detecting a female or the other way around? Uh, I would say it's because of the size and the weight, the vibration, that's don't go there. So how, because surely there's lots of vibrations through the ground. And, and unless, again, ignorance is bliss here, unless elephants, you know, generate a specific specific that others are kind of attuned to so one of the one sex of the elephants yeah. is making some sort of beat with their feet maybe specific like a bird song perhaps yeah. maybe when they're, just when they're in season they, they walk differently yeah or well, maybe on yeah. hind legs or something <laughs> <laughs> wow but, yeah you wonder how they discovered that that was the connection like the, the vibrations are going through the ground and they could detect that and find out you so wonder how that rattlesna- was discovered rattlesnakes are the same they, uh, sense, yeah. they sense their prey by the vibrations. And also predators, perhaps, because hopefully you shouldn't come across a snake because when you're walking, they can hear, feel that vibration and they yeah. move away. Ah. It's only, you should only be bitten by, I think, by a snake if you surprise it. 
past. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's what you get, slam. Uh, okay, buildings. Yeah, I'm thinking architecture is a massive thing designed by nature. Right? Yeah. So termite mounds are an inspiration for modern buildings and cooling effects. Okay. And saving a huge amount of energy. And that's from examining a termite mound oh, okay. and how they face and their internal structure. So we can see inside a termite mound and see how they keep re- relatively cool or a constant temperature between extremes from uh-huh. like um, 1 it's degree to 40 and degrees. It's like yeah. cool temperatures at night, yeah. etc. And it, I guess it comes back to the space as well and the new materials to keep astronauts cool in when they're in the sun. It's, very, very hot to when they're not in the sun and it's freezing because there's no mm-hmm. air and insulation and, and buffering, I guess, the temperature. Yeah. Their suits are essentially their own mini space stations that have to protect them. Yeah. Um, so I saw one there that was talking about um, at 3M, so swatch tape. So um, the basis behind it was they'd obviously been making tape and, and well, I've looked up here, Richard Gurley drew 1922. So he was a lab technician in 3M and what he found was that when he was, when he was going into um, like garages, etc., automotive shops, the, the workers were complaining about the fact that the sticky residue from the tape they were using um, when they were actually sandpaping stuff out would end up making their paint jobs particularly horrendous or they couldn't get the sticky residues from there uh, and what he did is he then went and started to look at uh, creatures that were able to walk or move across surfaces without leaving any residues like geckos etc that can stick to a surface but don't actually end up uh, leaving anything behind. Like a snail for example, like I guess a snail leaves some sort of trail behind it. Indeed. And obviously for them, for 3M, that's why they ended up with the development of scotch tape, which when you take it off, you don't end up with anything. There's no glue left behind. How they how you've replicated that from there, but it, how would you harvest the sticky stuff off a gecko's foot? It's you not sticky stuff, though. It's not sticky stuff, though. It's not. How many geckos would it take? But it's not sticky stuff on the gecko, because it's hairs. It's hairs oh, right, on, okay, on right, the bottom right. of the gecko that they've got, so there is nothing sticky that they're sitting with. So it's scotch tape <coughs> different to other types of tape? Yes, yeah, so he developed an, effectively enough an adhesive form that didn't leave any residues. Like but he, post-it yeah. notes? Right, yeah. So they stick, but they can come off? Yeah. So you wonder, so it's not the gecko, but you've got those other animals that don't stick to something uh, and finding out what it is. But it's again, it's all about that thing about observing nature to try and utilise what you're seeing out there. We're probably one of the only species that, that does that across it because we have the opportunity to observe yeah. uh, a wider expanse that you, you get to pick and choose. Um, Okay, we've got uh, solar cells was something that piqued my interest. Because I was thinking, I think we were talking in class the other day about uh, photosynthesis. And if you link uh, the leaf where it's photosynthesizing, capturing the sun's energy and turning it into chemical energy, it's very close to a solar cell, which captures the sun's energy and turns it into electrical energy. So we've got these cells which are very expensive to make, which are, uh, obviously you'll see them around on houses and things, uh, yeah. difficult to dispose of, very expensive, yeah. but converting it to an organic one, which is recyclable, um, and does the same thing would be quite amazing. I mean, the discussion in class ranged from, you know, why we can't make our own food, and plants do, to whether you could have, if you were covered in chlorophyll, whether you could <laughs> go for a while making your own, own, own sugars.
Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a place of investigation is to use the chemicals in leaves to make uh, solar cells, which would be phenomenal, wouldn't it? Yeah, would. That would be the dream. Or, organic electrical farms. Instead of making sugars. Oh, I know, that's, that's starting to get a bit matrix. That's a, that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anything else before we finish? Any other things we want to mention before we... Okay. Thing just now. okay, well thank you very much. That thank was uh, very thank interesting. You. Oh, we've got Mr. McNeish here as well who's coming at the end. Hi. <laughs>